Rambam, Mishneh Torah, Hilchais, the laws of Sanhedrin, the courts, and the punishments handed over to them. Aleph 1, a basic law, and the phrase this law is known by is To'o Bidvar Mishnah Choser. If the judge makes a mistake in something that's overtly stated in a Mishnah, in the basic body of the oral law, then that mistake is reversed. Judges have no right to make mistake in basic open law. Called die in any judge. Shadon Dini Mominus, who was adjudicating financial law of the and he erred. Im if his error wasn't revealed in known issues, or as they say in Australia, issues. Kagain, for example, Dinin Hamafaroshim Bimishnah, laws specified in the Mishnah. A Bigimara or laws specified in the Talmud which every yeshiva student knows. Chazer adin, the law is reversed. And it just goes back, is reversed, and it becomes like it was before the erroneous judgment. And then we have a retrial, and the judgment is adjudicated again. Sometimes it's impossible to reverse. It's too late. How could it be impossible to reverse? The person who took the money and ran, ran. And he went to a distant island in Hawaii. He went overseas. Or he was a strong guy, a starker, a tough guy. And he said, you touch my car, break your face. Or the question was, is something impure or is it pure? And he went and actually defiled something pure. It's too late. Defiled is defiled. You can't reverse something that became defiled. Or he ruled with something that was really kosher. That it's not. And by the time the reversal came about, he had fed it to the dogs or anything similar where the reversal is now impossible. He's exempt from paying. Even though he caused his damage. Why does he not have to pay? He is the judge. Why does the judge not have to pay even though he caused the damage? Because he didn't mean to cause the damage. And because he didn't mean to damage, therefore we don't hold him liable unless he did something intentionally bad. So that is Tobidvar Mishnah. If he, his mistake is in an open, overt, obvious teaching in Mishnah or Gemara. The Rambam goes on to say that even if the error was in an open teaching in Rambam, a judge should know that as well. <coughs> Of course, when the Rambam said that, he didn't realize that following his time, there would be debate as to when we do rule like the Rambam and when we don't. But if the error was not in misquoting or not knowing a source, but it was in interpretation, for example, something that is 
in and of itself debated in the Mishnah by various Mishnaic authors called Tanoim, in and of itself debated in the Talmud by various Talmudic authors referred to as Amoroim. And, and very often we find that these are the classical examples where the Rambam says, we're not sure. Because there was a debate between two opinions and there was no ruling. We've had this tens of times. And no rule was adjudicated. Like one of them, Befedish, specifically. But it was left questionable. It was an open question. Sometimes the Gemara says, Teku. We don't know. Which stands for Tof Yud Kubov. Tishbi. Yataritz. When Eliyahu of Tishbi will come, he will give all the answers to all the unknown questions. The and this judge followed one opinion, not the other. He had no idea that it became common custom throughout the Jewish world to follow the other opinion. If he was an expert judge, and he has license to judge from the head of the exilarch. We learned that in Babylon there was always a descendant of the Davidic dynasty who had government power. Or he did not have the license from the exilarch. But both litigants accepted his ruling. They signed or they made a kinyan or both. Kenyan is that famous act of acquisition we've talked about hundreds of times. Being that he is an expert, he should have known better. The ruling is reversed. If it's not possible, as we said earlier, to reverse, he's exempt because he meant no harm. Whether somebody is licensed by the exilarch to be a judge, or he's ordained by the courts of Israel, Be'eretz Yisrael, in Israel, but not out of Israel, as we explained. The above applies to that. What if the judge who made the error was an expert? But he did not have license. And the litigants did not sign that they agreed to his adjudication. He was not an expert, and in that case, usually there's a signature or opinion made by both. Neither was that done. He was not an expert. But the litigants agreed that he can adjudicate by law. And his error was in the issue that is debated by Mishnaic or Talmudic authors, but not decided. If he physically took the property out of one domain and put him in the other, Masha also Osui. What he did is done, but he has to pay the bill. Because he needs to take from his own checkbook and pay the bill. But if he didn't physically take it from one domain to the other, then it should be reversed. In the and if it's not possible, he should pay from his own money. If somebody's not an expert, and the litigants did not accept him, even though he is 
acting with license, but he's not an expert. Then he's just a bully. He's not included as a judge. Therefore, his rule is not a rule because he shouldn't have been licensed. It was a mistake to license him. Not, we learned earlier, not always was the exilarch such a God-fearing man. Sometimes a few dollars can get you a license to do whatever you want to. The fichal, therefore, ain't din, ain't din, his rule is not a rule. By the way, I don't want to sound uh, disrespectful. Very often the exilarch was a very God-fearing man. It depends on the, it depends on the particular time. Bain taught whether he erred, bain late or he didn't. I'm sorry. Therefore, his law is not law whether he erred or not. And every one of the litigants, each of the litigants in if he wanted to, goes to a valid court. And if his error took place, and he physically handed over the object, he's got to pay the bill from his house. And he reverses the action. If he doesn't have a shatime, or it became impure, as we said earlier. He fed it to the dogs, as we said earlier. Yeshalom, he has to pay. Kedin, like the law, called Gedim Lahazik, of anybody who causes damage. Shezek, because this guy that sh- who should not have been a judge to begin with. Miskaven Lahazik, who he intends to harm. Hey, five dayin shato, the judge made an error. And he required that someone who does not by Torah law required, someone who is not by Torah law required to take an oath. This judge made a mistake and required him to take an oath. The guy says, you know what? I don't want to take an oath. So this obligation hanging over his head to take an oath encouraged him pushed him to make a compromise in order that he not take an oath. Because there are many God-fearing Jews who will do anything not to take an oath. It's a very, very serious thing, even if they're telling the truth. So the threat of the oath, which this judge ruled he must take, caused him to compromise something that he didn't really want to compromise. Following that, he realized Shein Ben Shur, this judge was wrong. He doesn't have to take an oath. This was an ignorant judge. Even though he did an act of acquisition with this judge, accepting the compromise, it was a false acceptance. It was an acceptance based on error. It's not it's nothing. This this. Kenyan, act of acquisition, is meaningless. The only reason he accepted to give him as the judge suggested, or to forgive him as the judge accepted, in order that he should not have to take the oath, which this judge erroneously obligated him to. The whole Kenyan, the whole act of acceptance with acquisition is a mistake. It should be reverted because that's the rule. A Kenyan in error should be reversed. Or anything similar. Now comes an interesting law. What if there are two litigants and they have a case and it's a valid case? One litigant says, We're going to go to the court here 
in my local city. It's a fine court. And the other one says, no, we're going to a more senior court. We're going to Jerusalem. Who coerces who to do what? Who has the right to schlep someone to Jerusalem? Who has the right to insist it takes place locally? And we're going to learn these laws in the Rambam, but this is a very complicated law that we deal with every day. Somebody has a case, he wants to adjudicate it in Los Angeles. Does he have to? Does the other guy have to? Can he schlep it to New York, to Jerusalem? These are very important questions. So we're learning the Rambam's halacha here, and not necessarily do we decide the law as the Rambam. We know that. But it's very educational. When two people are strong in their dispute, they're very powerfully, they're having a powerful dispute. And one says, let's adjudicate the matter right here in the local court. Could be a court of three, could be a court of 23, but it's local. And the other guy says, heck no. We want to go to the Supreme Court. This is serious stuff. Why? Because this court locally, this court of three, or even of 23, they're not super experts. They're not the Sanhedrin. Maybe they'll make a mistake. And they'll take money that's not following the law. That's his argument. Kefenei say he can be coerced. <coughs> who can be coerced? The guy who wants to go to the Supreme Court. Vidon be'irei, and he could be forced to adjudicate the case locally. Locally. This reflects consideration of the other litigant's position. Why? because he's not required to undertake the time or the expense of a journey which he feels is unnecessary. He says it's elementary, Watson. Now, I'll just go into some of the notes, which I don't usually do, because this is such an interesting and, and, and practical issue. The Maharik, who is a halachic responsa, questions what would be the ruling if the other litigant would be traveling to the place of the Supreme Court anyway. In contemporary terms, the place of a more renowned court, regardless, could he be compelled to have the matter adjudicated there? The guy's going to New York anyway. Or does he still have the right to leave the case under the jurisdiction of the local court? So he says, bottom line, earlier we see, the Rambam said he can have it adjudicated locally. The Imamar... However, the guy gets the ruling and he doesn't like it. He thinks the local court made a mistake. What else is new? Whenever you lose, you think the court makes a mistake. He says, Kisvu Tnuli, my friends, your honors, please issue a document and write down, Me'eze Tam Dantuni. This is a famous phrase. Me'hechon Dantuni. Show me source. What is the source of your ruling? What are you relying on? You can't just rule from your belly. You have to have chapter and verse. You need to have a source in halacha. 
Shema Isa, maybe you made a mistake. Does the court have to supply the document? Yes. Casement, they must write their sources upon which they relied, and they hand it over, and then and only then can he collect. Now, he says here again in the notes that in chapter 22, halacha 8, that Radbaz explains that any litigant may make such a request of the judges. The Kesef Mishnah, on the other hand, quotes many authorities which maintain <coughs> that this ruling applies only when a litigant desired to have the matter adjudicated by a higher court and was forced to enter judgment in a local court. If he suspects that an error arose, he and not litigants in ordinary situations, says that Adbaz may request an explanation. See also the Hagot Maimonit, which mentions both positions. The base Yosef writes that an explanation of the motivating principles can be demanded only of a lower court. The Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin by contrast, is not required to supply such an explanation because we don't suspect that they will err. Similarly, in the present time, when a case is adjudicated by one of the leading courts of the generation, there's no need for that court to write up a position paper explaining its ruling. And this is also quoted by the Ramah. Basically, the Beis Yosef gives the Spardic halacha, the Ramah gives the Ashkenazic halacha. The Sefer Mi'iras Einayim, Famous commentary interprets the statement of the Ramor as implying that he agrees that any litigant has a right to ask a judge to provide the rationale for his ruling. The judge, however, may be required to provide only a verbal explanation, not a written explanation. So these are some of the notes here, which I do not usually go into, but I'm making an exception here. Continuing in Bob 6, if they needed to ask from the great court in Jerusalem, in other words, they wanted to appeal, they write and they send and they ask, and after the inquiry, the judgment is rendered in the local court on the basis of the answer written to them by the Supreme Court. This is a form of an appeal. Now, what they're saying is that if there's an issue here, they turn to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court gives a response. And he does point out here that the Supreme Court is not rendering judgment because a judgment can only be rendered in the presence of both litigants. You can never judge when both litigants are not present. They see the situation as described by the local court, and they write an abstract analysis of what the judgment should be. On the basis of their opinion, the judgment is rendered by the local court. So I actually want to correct myself. This is not an appeal. This is a question posed by the local court to the Supreme Court. Zion and when does this apply? Bishardinim in normal everyday litigation. Shazetoyin, Bizetoyin. This one has his position 
and his argument, and this one has his position and his argument, or if the lender says, let us adjudicate here, and the borrower says, let's go to the Supreme Court. The general rule of thumb is that when there's normal litigation where each one has a position, or the lender is always given greater power because he lent the money, wants to adjudicate it locally, we give the litigants who have equal position or the lender priority, and we say, let's rule here. But if the lender says, I'm not comfortable here, let's go to the Supreme Court. Again, we want to give the lender better position. By the way, parenthetically, why do we want to give the lender better position? We've talked about this many, many times. We want people to lend money. If the lender gets hurt too many times, people will stop lending money. We then coerce the borrower, and he goes, back with him, and he uses actually an expression in Proverbs, the borrower becomes sort of like a slave to the lender. Yes, the lender has a better position than the borrower. Why? It's his money. Similarly speaking, if the claim is that Mr. A injured Mr. B, and the litigant the plaintiff wants to go to the higher court and there's an allegation of harm done, of damage, the local court can coerce him because he's out money. It's not an equal litigation. Or anything similar. When does this apply that Mr. A could take Mr. B to court and demand that because he damaged him, they go to Jerusalem. When does this apply if the alleged damage is a reality? What do you mean? How do you know it's a reality? If they're witnesses, or there's proof, that the person who allegedly was robbed was robbed. The person who allegedly was damaged was damaged. Or that the lender really made a loan. And this is an interesting Expression, tan or reconis, an empty claim. You hurt me. Yeah, I hurt you. How, how do you know? Because I say so. You don't require people to schlep to Jerusalem for unsupported claims. You can't obligate the defendant to leave his town. He just takes an oath in his local place. Because there's no support to the allegation. The nifter and he's exempt. Test the closing paragraph of chapter six. Bechain hadin. So the law is also bismanazen. Our time says the Rambam. Sheein shom bezn godel, where there is no Sanhedrin. In our day, says the Rambam, there is no Sanhedrin. But what are there? There are senior courts. For example, in today's world, there are senior courts in, in, in Chicago, in New York. Certainly in Jerusalem. But there are places who have very wise 
scholars, mumchim larabim, renowned experts, on bekeimus and places sheeshbam talmidim sheinim kameisam. Then there are places who have scholars who are not on that level, basic scholars. If the lender who always gets preferred position says, Nay, let us go, Lim came plainly to so and so. Place, Shebe Eretz plainis in so and so land, Le plainly to this and this court, Hagodul to this and this scholar. Let's adjudicate this issue again. The borrower is a servant to the lender. We coerce, we force, we push the borrower. And he goes to the higher court, to the wiser court, to the greater court. Says the Rambam, This was everyday stuff. Back home, not in New Jersey. The Rambam is not from New Jersey like I am. Bisfard in Spard. What's Spard? Spain. The Rambam is from Spain. Every day we did this in Spain, where there were great courts and simple courts. End of chapter 6.